Welcome. This is Alter to the Muse, Episode 8. I'm Josh. And I'm Angie. And this episode is called, Can You Teach Creativity? And what's fun about this is that we're both teachers, right? You're a public school teacher. I'm an um, alternative adult education uh, teacher. And I feel like we're teaching this stuff all the time. But, but can you really teach creativity? Yeah, and so I'm going to start with a couple of, we're going to start with a couple of, of, of guiding quotes. Would you like to go first? Sure. So this is by Paolo Freire, uh, who is the author of an essential book that everybody should read called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And he says, the teacher is, of course, an artist, but being an artist does not mean that he or she can make the profile can shape the students. What the educator does in teaching is to make it possible for the students to become themselves. And this is another one from the same book. There's no such thing as neutral education. Education either functions as an instrument to bring about conformity or freedom. And so with those Two quotes. Um, I think we can talk a little bit about can you teach creativity? Yeah. See, I don't think you can. I don't think that's what's really going on. And I think you can teach things like you teach people how to play guitar. Like, I actually don't play guitar. <laughs> and you could take me, who, who doesn't know anything, and you could give me the skills to be able to play a song. And that's teaching me how to play the guitar. But what's harder to teach me is how to create a song. Yes. And I, I'm going to jump in right there. That, um, that there is, and I, because I live in this world, the, um, there is a, a constant thread in music education where we spend a lot of time developing skills and how to read music and how to play an instrument and how to make sound and how to play other people's songs. What we almost never teach, and this is absolutely true, is how to write your own. Yeah, and I know we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, this very thing, because there's this constant um, difference we notice between the art world and the music world and that that's the huge piece and the the thing is is that um and i and i think it comes down to and this is going to get right into the very first thing is holding the space see when somebody is young and they're making up little songs or they're they're playing they're they're banging on the pots and pans and they're they're making stuff up, they're improvising, they're experimenting with their surroundings, that as long as that space is held as an open space, that the, the space is given to explore and not to put too much of a box around it, then the person, will continue to engage with their own creative prowess to make things up. But if we take that same person and say, okay, I've given you this instrument. 
we're now going to learn to play this song. And you can't play anything else but this song that I'm showing you. I don't want you to experiment on the instrument. I don't want you to mess around with it in any way, shape, or form. I just want you to learn where I tell you to put your fingers. That leads to uh, almost squashing of the individual's ability, desire, prowess to create their yeah. own. And, you know, and I can't say that doesn't happen in the art world because I can think of maybe art projects that have a specific end result. So you're going to make this picture and it's going to look just like this particular image. And here's step one, step two, step three, so that you can create the picture that looks just like my picture. And maybe you alter the colors or whatever. But something in that process also, I feel like, cuts off that personal imagination. Um, and I do think that this happens a lot in in pre-packaged projects. Mm, yes, yes. And, and that's exactly, and that's so much of what is not, and I'm not meaning to bash music education here, but so much of what is taught is a pre-packaged project. I have a choral octavo, you know, that I'm going to teach the kids how to sing this song. Everything's already delineated for me. I, I, there's no, there's not really much that I have to do outside of following the score. Now, I can take liberties how I take liberties, but I could just follow the score. Right. And it's not that there wouldn't be any learning in that process. No, there's tons of learning in that process. Right. And that's, that is beneficial. But if that's mm -hmm. the only way you ever approach music or art or writing or whatever it is, and you never give time for that open exploration, you are squashing imagination. You're squashing creativity. I, I believe that. You know, I, I, when, I, when I ask a kid to sing me a song and they can sing a song by you know, another artist, another person. And then I say, okay, sing me one of your songs. And they don't have any. And, and they, well, I don't know how to. And I'm like, it's not so much that you don't know how. It's that you've forgotten and it wasn't encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the essential piece in, in holding a space for creativity. And we feel like there's two, two approaches to holding a space. So, I mean, you can hold a space in art class and music class and writing class and drama class or whatever class. And you could hold a space that's encouraging creativity or discouraging creativity. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about what discouraging creativity looks like. Yeah. And I, I, I think the, the very first thing is having extremely rigid right and wrong rules about what is done with a project like um you know if you if you ask students to draw and you they can only they can only use these colors and a kid comes up to you and said can i use orange and you're like no you have to use you know white and brown and that's it you, no other colors are allowed that moment where that kid was excited to add a color, that moment is where 
they were told that their personal voice, their autonomy was taken away. Yeah. And they had to do it your way, whatever your way was. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that is a moment where they had a thought and they were going to follow that inspiration. And then they, I mean, even the, the thought to ask, can I use orange? Like even that is a little preposterous to me. And I think about, and I've been in situations where I've taught in art classrooms and I'm, I'm, I'm the person who's like, yeah, go for it. Use that color. Uh, I think about our, our own children and they were growing up and I never did prepackaged projects with them. I just bought a lot of art supplies and I was like, make stuff <laughs> yeah and some of the art supplies that we had for the kids to use were not even things you would consider at least i wouldn't have considered to be art supplies you had a a, a slate like a piece of slate rock that when you put water on it it it, it turned dark and and you gave them a little like a paintbrush and they could dip it in the water and then they'd put it on the rock and it would make colors it would make or, mark it make, make a, a mark mark mm-hmm. and it would be there for a little bit and then it would dry and disappear and so it was a constant it was a constant repetition of a skill making a mark yeah but that mark didn't last it wasn't a it wasn't something that you could you, at the end of the day you would have a you have a piece of paper with a bunch of marks on it it, it was it was uh, it was gone but then they would they practiced doing that mark so much right. And it was their own fun. They would like go in there and do right. that all the time. Then once they got onto a piece of paper and they made a mark, they knew how to make a mark. Right. And the other thing I did too was I made Play-Doh from flour and oil and however you did handmade Play-Doh. <laughs> Kool-Aid. You'd put Kool-Aid in it to make different colors. And I just let them like form things with it and they just squish and shape. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't any prepackaged expectation or or and and there was a lot of encouragement of this is what these are some supplies and yeah just make stuff right so so when you create a space that discourages inspiration and ideas you're not holding a space for creativity yeah and there's another thing that i think is and this has to do with the language at least from the point of view of the teacher is when a when a student when you're going around the room and you're looking at at kids work or your child or adults work <laughs> or adults work or your child brings you a, a a something that they've drawn or painted or whatever and you say you you could say a couple of different things and a lot of people will say what is that but they'll say it in a way that is not always kind Another way you could say that is, tell me about this. And then you hear the story of all the marks mm-hmm. and all the things. And, and then you, as the teacher, can see through the eyes of your student. Yeah. And that, to me, is extremely powerful. Because it's not demanding that the student make something that you recognize but it's looking with their eyes 
It's you looking at it from the artist's perspective. And that that's something that professional artists demand of us all the time. Yeah. You know, Pablo Picasso did not say, well, I have this thing in my vision that makes me draw everyone like triangles. That didn't, that wasn't the case. The case was, look at how I'm messing with perspective. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. It, how are we encouraging versus discouraging uh, creative ideas and inspirations in anybody? So when we're in this position of holding space. The other thing um, that's important that, that can discourage creativity is not letting somebody have autonomy or voice. And that's part of that, uh, that tell me more, right? When you're like, well, this isn't what you're supposed to do, or, or why are you doing it that way? When you start to question those actions, then there's something that starts to get shut down, like actually in the body. Mm, Yeah, it's like, it's like the idea that, oh, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not doing this the right way. And you can imagine how that, well, you probably know exactly how that makes you feel. You know, when you're having a really good time doing something, and then somebody tells you that you're doing it wrong. You know, imagine that this is like a a book I read about creative writing. You know, imagine somebody like, like, you you know, if you kiss for the first time and then the person who you're kissing says, my God, that was horrible. You need to practice or, you know, how, how likely are you to go trying it again? But we don't do that. You know, you, you learn doing that by doing that. And the encouragement comes by the person kissing you back. And eventually it all starts to happen. And, and if we look at our, our um, creative works that way, look at it as trial and error, you probably didn't get it right the first time. Probably wasn't the greatest, you know, uh, uh, romantic um, mo- moment of your life that very first, maybe it was, who knows. But chances are, it takes a little bit of trial and error. Yeah. And, um, and so we encourage that. You encourage that trial and error. You, they go, oh, I'm just, I'm horrible at drawing because I can't get this shape right. Like, let's look at what, let's, let's see if we can get the technique. Right. Let's keep trying. Right. Okay, let's try something different. Right, and even that ability to uh, move your body in, in the ways that support that technique or 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 having the space to try something and then to not engage with it you know to the freedom to abandon right a project um is important to be supported in that creative space yeah i call that um the right to abandon and that um you know if you're working on a project you're working on a I don't know. I do this all the time with songs. You know, I'll, I'll get to a place where I feel like it, I've, I've worked on it enough. I've taken the idea as far as I can take it, and I am unhappy with it, and I let it go. Now, I have a right to abandon it. 
Right. And, and you know, and thinking about school projects, I mean, you can't do that. No. There's a due date and you have to hand that sucker in. That's right. Like, there's no abandoning. So we kind of get this in this stuck space of following something through. And it's not to say that it's a bad idea to follow things through to their end sometimes. Like, that, that has value too. But if you're only ever doing that and, and you never give yourself the option to maybe say, this just isn't working and I need to let it go. Like that's a skill that you develop is deciding when, when it's worth following through and when it's worth letting go. And, and there's never any space I feel in our, in the, in the way we're approaching creative education. Um, there's, there's very little to none. And, you know, in, in, and in school too, and in, in, in most education situations, when you have a particular amount of time, because there's a due date, right? You don't get a lot of time to gestate. You don't get a lot of time to let an idea really take any kind of form. You know, if um, I know, because I did this to myself, I was writing a song every month. I was writing, recording, and releasing a song every single month. So that meant that the, you know, the first week and a half, Chances are really good. I was writing the lyrics and figuring out how the song was going to work. And the next two weeks, I would spend recording, mixing it, mastering it, and putting it out into the world. So two weeks isn't a lot of time. It isn't a lot of time to wordsmith. It isn't a lot of time to make the riffs the best you can make them. It isn't a lot of time. And you end up with, well, you end up with a lot of songs that have a lot of really good ideas, but a lot of lyrics I was definitely not proud of. And, um, And some production that I wasn't proud of. But the, the process of doing that was useful, but I did it to myself. It wasn't like I was writing it for a class, you know, and, and that, that kind of, um, it can imagine for myself, it's like, oh, I'm not, I might not put the same kind of effort into something if I know it's due in a week as I might be able to put into something that is due in six months. And it's not to say sometimes you have a consignment or or a or a, a client maybe that mm. wants something in a shorter amount of time and then that's part of the problem solving is figuring that out but there is something to be said for letting something gestate it makes me think of that quintessential question that artists get is well how long does it take you to make something <laughs> <laughs> that that gets asked all the time in my in my classes where we share our art share our work, share our creative projects. That's one of the top questions is how long did that take you? Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's a valid question. It's, a, you know, like it does take time and, but, but I, it's hard because when I, my thing is when did it begin? Did it begin when I put the first mark down or did it begin when I was thinking about it? And maybe I was thinking about it for years. Like that's, yeah, that, Ah, time is a construct. It's an infinite creation. Where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's getting metaphysical now. But the uh, the that's that is true. You know, it's like when did, you know, when did it? How long did this song take? Well, geez, you know, I started it ten years ago. Yeah. Did it take me ten years? No, because I didn't work on it every day for ten years. But the idea sat on the very back burner. But it's like a seed. We talked about a seed in a previous episode, uh, like an oak, uh, like an uh, an acorn, right? Yeah. Like, and it just sits there. Like, how long does that seed sit there before it grows into a tree? 
Ah. It can grow, sit for quite a long time. I mean, there are seed banks mm-hmm. holding seeds in hopes for thousands of years. Who knows, right? So how old is that, really? Like, how old are we? Well, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's some deep questions there. So anyways, can you teach creativity? Mm-hmm. I don't think you can. I don't think it's something that we teach. We teach skills. And we hold space. And in the space that we hold, we can either encourage creativity or discourage creativity. We can encourage people to have an autonomous voice or we can squash that voice. Yeah. And we can also show the people that we're working with that we're artists as well. And that we're struggling with the same things that they're struggling with. I might not have the same technical difficulty as a beginning guitar student has but I'm still working on things it's not like my journey's done you know and so um so that uh, that coming to the table with all of your humility is is so important when um when you're working with with somebody especially somebody who is is unsure about their abilities and maybe they've been told by people that, you know, they're not very good. Yeah, so, yeah, if you recognize that you were held in an unsupportive creative space, you know, it's time to acknowledge that and then time to time to change it, you know? Uh, that's Hopefully that's what this podcast can be for you, is holding just uh, an open creative space, encouraging you to keep trying and, and to keep making mistakes. Yeah, and to not let, to not let your, um, you know, not let your project that um, you like, oh, but I, but I keep starting and I never finish because I get to a point where I'm not really happy with it. And then, yeah, okay, so abandon it. Okay, abandon it. And, you know, sometimes you abandon something and it sits on the shelf for a while, but then one day... It all clicks. I mean, that happens to me all the time, making things. I'll just be like, I got to put this away. And I'll leave it. And it could, it could sit for years, honestly. And then one day, I realize what it's for. Right? You just don't know how long something needs. Yeah. And so with that in mind, you don't look at it as like, oh, well, I can never finish a pair of socks when I'm knitting. It's like, okay, put, put it up and start another pair. Maybe you're getting to a place, you get to a place where, and then you got to learn a new skill so that you can finish. You know, maybe, maybe you've got to look at the problem a new way so that you can finish. And, um, and in, instead of calling your, instead of using the language of I'm a failure, it's like, okay, well, what did I learn about this from not finishing? And then how do I, how do I get to a place where I can finish? And then at least I can, I can say, I, I finished this. And once you've reached that point, once you've done that a few times, it's a lot easier to, to, look, at, to look at your work and say, okay, I, I know where I'm in that sticking point, where, where I'm, I'm starting to not like this anymore. Right. And I, I, can, I, I now have some tools that I can work through it. Which is probably another podcast. <laughs> we'll have to save that for the next episode. <laughs> In the meantime, we want you to 
you know, we want you to feel encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. And so go make stuff. <laughs> been listening to Alter to the Muse podcast, a production of Jai Studios, LLC. Visit us at altertothemuse.com for more.